Well, good morning and aloha to you, Shorebreak Church. And uh, if this is your first time joining us, uh, we're glad to have you, even over the internet. Um, we are we are continuing in a series on the Psalms. Um, we're going to be here for another few weeks. And uh, what I really appreciate about the Psalms is just how uh, how personal they can be. Um, it, it's so easy to relate to most of these Psalms because they really capture so many facets of the human experience. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 13, which is a lament psalm and uh, can be a very heavy psalm, but I, I think it's very appropriate given the state of the world in which we live and, and the current events, um, as Raymond even mentioned earlier. So <clears throat> this is uh, often referred to as the How Long, O Lord psalm. And uh, I, I know that, that many of you, myself included, um, share in that cry. Um, how long, O oh Lord, right? That, that's, for a lot of us, that's, that's literally the cry of our heart right now. Um, how long will, until justice will be served? How long until corruption will be dealt with? How long will people be treated less than what they actually are? as people who are wonderfully and beautifully made in the image and likeness of God? How long will we continue to live in this world that is ravaged by sin and its effects? Um, and ultimately, how long as Christians, how long until Jesus returns, right? To just wrap it all up. Um, enough's enough. That, that is essentially the essence of, of what that question is, is getting at. This psalm... Um, it, it addresses the real pain that we feel in this world and, and the, the pain we feel internally, right, emotionally, psychologically. Um, but the question for us as we, as we come to this psalm, the question is, how, how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with despair? How do you deal with hardship? And for a lot of us, we're, we're either going to do one of two things uh, with hardship. We're either going to deny it. Right, we're going to act like it's not that bad. We just kind of put our nose to the grindstone and just make our, ways, make our way through that, or just put our head in the sand, right? We have, we have so many, there's different ways we talk about denial, um, or we're going to be overcome with despair. And I would, I would say that David in this psalm is really kind of erring on the side of despair, right? On the side of experiencing a, a hopelessness, um, the thing, about, the thing about denial, right, is, is there are religions and there are worldviews that, that, that would suggest that the pain and the suffering in this world is just an illusion, right? You just, you just have to ignore those emotions. You just have to ignore those thoughts. Then you will find freedom. There's other worldviews and, and religions that would, would tell you that um, there is no God. This is it. And therefore, you're left with the hopelessness and the effects of, of sin in this world, which can lead you to despair. But we know that the gospel is neither. The gospel doesn't deny your pain. The gospel acknowledges it. It tells us that, that the creation itself is, is groaning. The gospel doesn't leave us in despair, but gives us a message of hope. Therefore, the gospel actually presents to us a third way. And this third way is, is so crucial if, if we don't understand this, um, then this psalm won't be precious to us. The Christian life won't be precious to us. 
And if anything, we'll just be stuck in the first two verses, perpetually being in that state of despair and hopelessness. The gospel tells us that on this side of heaven, in light of what Christ has done, Paul describes that life as as being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And this is key. You, You have to get this. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This is the third way. Now, we know that in the new heavens and the new earth, that sorrow is gone. It is gone, but not entirely. The experience of our hearts will not be sorrowful, but yet the, the memory of sorrow remains. If you go to Revelation 5 and 7, all the nations are surrounding Jesus, and Jesus is described as the land who was slain. There is something about his slainness. There is something about the Jesus who entered our sorrow as a man who took on flesh that was virtually removed from him, that, that, that slainness remains. And we know he, when he comes and is, even, even after the resurrection, he shows Thomas the nails in his hands because the sorrow is a reminder for the joy that is awaiting. In fact, the, the joy that we experience in Christ only makes sense within the context of sorrow. It's not possible. It's not possible to understand the joy that God is offering us unless we actually deal with and acknowledge the sorrow. And so when we approach this psalm, I just want to suggest to you that basically we have two risks here. I'm sure there's many more. I just want to mention two. One is that um, as we approach this psalm, we we have to have a right expectation. And And I already hinted at this which is the fact that the right posture is that for the Christian, for those who have come to Christ, who have received his forgiveness, your life, my life, our lives will be sorrowful. Yet we will always have the ability to rejoice because our joy does not hinge on our circumstances. It hinges on God, who David is addressing in this psalm. The wrong expectation, therefore, would be that we come to God with our sorrow And he replaces that with joy, as though the sorrow just goes away. That's not true. The sorrow doesn't go away. It does not go away. But what Psalm 13 does is it offers us a way to deal with that pain. It offers us a way to actually deal with that sorrow. And the second risk is basically that we would approach Psalm 13 as some sort of formulaic, do these four things so that I could now experience joy, right? If, I, if, if David, who was modeled for us <clears throat> a way by which we can cultivate more joy, as long as I do those four things, then I will have joy. The, the problem with that posture is that that's not what David is doing, number one. And number two, the, the object really becomes yourself. It really, if, if this is how we're approaching that psalm, it, the emphasis is placed on our effort, right, to do in order that God would respond to that. And that's Again, this this is not how David is addressing God. David is appealing to the God of steadfast love. And David knows that his joy in his sorrow actually is, it it hinges on God's steadfast love. And we know that because we can see it very clearly in verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This is not... David's joy is not dependent on his ability to do. It's dependent about, upon what God has done. This is very crucial. Um, 
Psalm 13, right, gives us an ability to deal with our pain. Psalm 13 will give us hope when we are hopeless. But the way that we're actually going to unlock that is if we view this through the lens of the gospel. And that's ultimately where I'm going with this text is that, is that Jesus is the one who literally embodies Psalm 13. We've got to get that. But we're going to do a, a few, we're going to spend a few minutes kind of setting this up and I'll make, I'll make a few comments on, on this psalm. So let me go ahead and pray and, uh, and we'll get started. Father, thank you. Um, I thank you so much that you have not forsaken us. You enter despair, and therefore you enter our pain and give us joy unspeakable and filled with glory. I pray that we would see that. I pray that we would see that Jesus Christ has embodied this psalm for us on our behalf and is offering us joy, even in the midst of our pain and our sorrow. May we experience that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. What I love about this psalm is, is we actually have no idea when this was written. And, I, and, and the reason I say that is because we, we actually know so much about David's life. The reason why we know David wrote this is because he literally said, I wrote this. Before verse 1, it says, a psalm of David. And that he wrote that. That's actually in the original text. Um, we know that David wrote this, but we actually have no idea when he wrote this. Meaning we have no idea what circumstances surrounded this psalm. Um, we have so much of, of David's life that it's, it, it's kind of fun to, to think about, okay, when would he have written this, right? You think about um, the hardships that David has experienced in his own life. We know that um, after he was called to be the king of Israel, we know that Saul then took the throne and um, he was kind of a placeholder for David. But all the while, Saul is literally um, seeking his life. He's throwing spears at him. Um, we know that once he did take the throne, we know that his son Absalom tried to kill him, which ironically, if you, if you look at a, um, like a chronological Bible reading plan, that's, that's where they put this psalm. They put this in the midst of, of David seeking refuge because his son Absalom is trying to kill him. Um, there's just no way to know that. Um, did David pen this psalm after he committed adultery? After, after he had Uriah murdered? Um, was this after the death of his newborn? Was this after he took a census, right? And, and God's wrath came upon Israel. Was, did he write this at the end of his life? Um, we don't know. We literally have no idea. And the other thing is, um, not only do we not know the circumstances that surrounded this psalm, we also don't know really um, the, the posture of David when he wrote this. Was he writing from the perspective as a victim? Or was he writing from the perspective as the culprit, right, as the enemy? Was there blood on his hands or was there blood on somebody else's hands at his expense? We don't know. We don't know. But that's actually the reason why I think we can have so much hope for this psalm is, is whether or not you are a victim of injustice or you are the person that is inflicting injustice. Either way, we know that that's true of David's life, right? David didn't have this squeaky clean life to where he did everything right. You know, he, he made people feel like this. 
He made Bathsheba feel like this. How long, O Lord? We know that people felt betrayed by David. David's decisions ruined people's lives. And, and so David is, knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of injustice, and he also knows what it's like to be on the giving end of injustice. But either way, wherever you find yourself in this text, in your life, the good news is that you can actually appeal to the God of steadfast love. That is your hope. Whether you're a victim and you feel alone and you're in despair, or you're, you're an enemy and you've inflicted a lot of pain, and because of you, people have felt the effects of your sin, there's blood on your hands, you still are going to feel alone and in despair. And regardless of where you're at, how you relate, I just want you to know that there is good news for you. This, this psalm is very personal to me because when I met Jesus, this is literally how I felt. I felt alone, and I felt alone because I was the victim of, of, of sin, but I also wasn't just a victim. I was a victimizer. I was the culprit. I was the enemy. I know what it's like to, through, through sin, push people away and to feel alone and to be brought to despair. And so I, I, I understand to some degree, what David is wrestling with. And either way, if all of us are honest, we're, we're both simultaneously, right? We are both the victims and the victimizers, always. And the hope that we have for all of us is that God is a God of steadfast love. So let's look at, let's look at this psalm. Psalm 13. David begins with the question, how long, O Lord? Right, David is, David is wrestling with um, an unbearable sense of despair. Um, he's expressing right now how he feels. This is where he's at, right? This is his current experience emotionally, psychologically. David is, is, is wrestling with, with how long this experience will continue. When will this pass? Enough is enough. And he follows up that question with another question, which is, will you forget me forever? And we know he's addressing God because he says, how long, O Lord? God, will you forget me forever? He's wrestling with this lie, which is that God has forgotten me. He's withholding his help and his comfort for me. And then he follows that up with another question. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? Essentially saying, God has abandoned me. He's disgusted with me. Because of my sin, he can't even gaze upon me right now. Another question, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? God's not going to counsel me. He doesn't care. See, he's beginning to, to basically run the full gamut of the, 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 the despair. And, and right here is the psychological effects, right? How long must I take counsel in my soul? His, his mind is just ridden with despair. And he can't counsel himself. He can't console himself. And as far, he know, as far as he knows, God is not going to counsel him either. 
And he ends with, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Essentially saying, God's not going to defend me. He's going to leave me helpless and vulnerable in the presence of my enemy. And furthermore, when my enemy conquers me, he's going to be exalted over me. Your name will not be praised because of my enemy. So David begins this psalm with despair. And these are, this is a series of complaints. He also, these, these complaints are also lies about God's character. That in this moment, it's very tempting for him to believe. But then he transitions, right? He's, he's kind of focusing on the experience of God being absent. And he transitions right here to God's presence. In verse 3, he says, consider and answer me. So he begins to make this request. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's basically saying, give me joy or give me death. If I'm not going to experience joy, I'd much rather just be given over to death. Because even that would seem better than continuing to live this way. And again, he appeals to the, the exaltation of his enemies. He says, just give me over to death, lest my enemies, enemies say I have prevailed over him. He would rather die than let his enemy kill him to say, to proclaim I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And, and even in this moment, even, even when David is making his request known to God, even when he is stating his needs, the assumption right here is that God doesn't want his enemies to have victory. He still wants God to, to be able to be exalted in his life, not his enemies. Because, verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And this steadfast love, what... what what David is actually appealing to is the covenant love. What he's appealing to is that, God, you made a promise to me. You made a promise to love me regardless of how I, regardless of whether or not I uphold my end of the bargain. God, will you uphold your end of the bargain? Will you love me because you love me? Will you love me with the unfailing love that only you possess? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, David knows at the very end of the day, that type of love, only God possesses that. And he, again, again, he knows whether or not David is, is the cause of infliction or he's suffering under the affliction, either way, God loves him regardless. If, if David were the cause of infliction, he knows that there's forgiveness. If David was suffering the affliction. He knows that he could, he could go to God as, as somebody who is absolutely needy, right? I mean, think about this in your own life. We get exhausted by people we think are needy, right? Someone who's just always needs, whether it's, whether it's just, it's, it's, they want too much of me, whether that's, they want, they want physical help, whether they want emotional connection, spiritual connection, whatever it is. I mean, we literally get exhausted, but not with God. 
And David knows this because he knows that no matter how needy you are, God is always going to come through because he is a God of steadfast love. And therefore, this, this is the, the actual basis and foundation of his hope. This is why he actually makes his appeal. And this is why he's actually going to him with his complaints, with his despair, with his requests. And he's going to him and being honest about what he actually needs because he knows that God will listen to him and that God will answer him. It may not be in his timing, but God will come through. And therefore, he ends this psalm with praise. Because of your steadfast love, because of your salvation, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Right? He begins this psalm with a very impersonal God and ends this with very personal language. You have dealt bountifully with me. And it's easy for us to see that in the life of David because we have so much uh, in the life of David to go off of. So how do we get there? How do we, again, how do we come to God with our sorrow, with the hopes of cultivating joy? How do we become a people, like Paul describes, as a people that are sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Well, we have to see this. We, we, have, we have got to see this, is that this psalm is, is not essentially about David. It's really not. This psalm is essentially about Jesus. That Jesus is the one who truly enters our despair. The only reason why God is able to, or the only reason why, yes, why God is able to truly understand what David is going through is because he himself has entered that despair. When Jesus Christ took on flesh, he was the one that was forsaken. He was the one that was betrayed. He was the one that was wrongfully accused. He was the one that was mocked and beaten and bruised and stripped and whipped and hung on a cross to die as a blasphemer in the place of a murderer and was completely innocent. Jesus was perfect. He loved perfectly. He committed no sin. All he did was love fully because he knew he was fully loved, and he is loved. There has never lived a man who has experienced more isolation, more loneliness, or has been more misunderstood than Jesus. And this God, Jesus Christ, he stands in our place. He stood in David's place, and he stands in our place. He literally embodies Psalm 13. In Psalm 22, David actually records, he, he records that, that phrase that was then repeated by Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, 46. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is to say, how long, O oh Lord, will I feel that you are gone? How long will I feel this sense of, of you turning your face away? How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But Jesus 
says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, this psalm is, is Jesus' psalm. Jesus is the one who lamented. The good news for us is that he literally embodies our lament. He embodies our despair. He's the one who took all our pain, all our suffering, all our tears, our sorrows, and he took them to the cross in order that our, heart, our hearts might partake in this psalm and rejoice in his salvation. We sing to the Lord because he has done bountifully with us, because he has shown us his steadfast love. And the cross is the focal point of this love displayed for us. The cross is the only place where we could truly know that God has not forsaken us. That God will no longer hide his face from us. Because, as the writer of Psalm 67 reminds us, God has been gracious to us and has blessed us and has made his face to shine upon us. The cross tells us that he hears us. It tells us that we can, that we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The cross tells us that our sorrow will soon be turned into joy, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, and the new heavens and the new earth. The cross tells us that our greatest enemy, Satan, sin, death, will no longer be exalted because they've been put to open shame. It tells us that our God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And because of Christ's work, he now invites us to look at Psalm 13 with new eyes. And when you understand that Jesus has embodied this psalm, he has fulfilled this psalm, you will realize that he has entered your pain, your sorrow, and he has the ability to make this psalm the cry of your heart, knowing that your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so I do invite you that the progression of this psalm is very clear. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the risks is that we turn this into just some formulaic model but there is a progression here. What we see in the first two verses is that what David does is he offers his complaint to God. He offers his complaint. He tells him, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. Next, he, he makes his needs. He requests the needs that he actually, his own needs. He tells him exactly what he needs. Shine light on my heart, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And then he turns in verse 5 to trust. And this trust is, is built upon that steadfast love. And for us as Christians, we appeal to the cross. We, we, have, we appeal to the finished work of the cross, knowing that three days later, he will rise from the grave and give us life. And therefore, as this psalm ends, we can praise him. Christian, draw near to Psalm 13, because in it you will see that Christ has drawn near to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. We thank you that you hear our cries. You know our pain. 
and you do something about it. You took on flesh, you dwelled among us, and all that pain, all that suffering, all the effects of sin, you took upon yourself at the cross. That is our hope, that is our rest, knowing that your work that was finished will give us new life. Help us, Father, to use this psalm as well as other psalms to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.